Good day, good afternoon, good whenever it is you are listening to this. Thank you very much for listening to this. You are checking out another episode of Woke and Baked. My guest today, my esteemed guest, the one and only Kenai Peninsula Borough Mayor, Charlie Pierce. Charlie Pierce is the mayor in the middle of what can only be described as a poop show. Our peninsula is on fire. Our teachers are looking to go on to a strike in the very beginning of the school year. We're looking at the possibility of the assembly trying to go to a city manager versus a borough mayor uh, structure where we rely more on a borough manager versus the uh, borough mayor system that we currently have. And he, uh, our, our mayor, goes into why he thinks going into a manager, having a manager is a bad idea. We jump straight into that. We also discuss what's going on with fires. We discuss fire prevention. We discuss the impending possible, I shouldn't say impending, if it's possible, teacher strike that we are looking at um, very soon. And the privacy of uh, Kenai Peninsula Borough resident and taxpayer, Zach Brown, of the Zach Brown Band. He lives on the peninsula. He pays taxes here, and yet there's some funky stuff going on with his right to privacy. This dude bought 100 acres on the side of a mountain in Homer, Alaska. This dude deserves his privacy, right? Clearly, he wants it for the same reason that most of us moved up here. They just want a little bit of space, and we should afford him that because... Hell, he's paying taxes up here. All right, so with that being said, we've got to give a solid shout-out to our supporters to include Iron Asylum Gym located on KB Road, close to Save You More. If you're looking to save money on uh, groceries and shop semi-locally, Save You More is one way to do it. Now, if you're trying to find a badass gym to work out at 24 hours a day, seven days a week with a, with a booming system where you can listen to Run the Jewels as loud as you want while you're running on the treadmill, you can do that. By the way, that's a that's a topic for another podcast. Why is it that uh, artists who probably don't work out very often make great music to work out to? I think that Vinny Paz of Jedi Mind Tricks is a very clear example of music to work out to, not necessarily made by people that work out. But again, that's a topic for a whole other conversation. Check out Iron Asylum on Instagram. Check them out on Facebook. Check out their reviews of all kinds of cool local products, uh, also products that they sell. Uh, which, you know, you got to take with a grain of salt because it's uh, the, the review is being written by someone who is selling that particular product. But if the review is honest, then you got to, you know, you go with it because it's an honest review of someone who's selling the product. So that's pretty cool. All right, our other supporters slash sponsors, 5150 Vapes, located in Soldatna. If you are looking for a good alternative to smoking cigarettes, 5150 Vapes has the vaporizers for you. They also have the nicotine to hit your fix. So if you are looking to quit smoking, and by the way, the peninsula's on fire, you shouldn't be throwing cigarette butts into uh, into the grass anyway. So it maybe, maybe you guys should start vaping providing you are of age to smoke, you should start vaping. If you are not of age to vape, don't vape. It's bad for you uh, or something. I don't know. It's better than smoking, but still, don't do it. If you are not of the age to vape, don't do it. Um, and now, one of our newest sponsors, Red Run Cannabis Company, located on the Kenai Spur Highway, right between Kenai and Soldatna. Open real early and closing real late. Midnight, actually. So if you are looking for a place to buy some cannabis at 11.30 at night, Red Run Cannabis Company is a place where you can do that. It's There you go. They also have Hashade, which is a, uh, if you're not familiar with Hashade, it is a drinkable 
uh, edible. So it's a drinkable. All right, it is 50 milligrams of THC inside a nice little bottle of lemonade, and you can do all kinds of things with it. You can mix it with uh, with iced tea and have a, a modified Arnold Palmer. I mean, it's probably going to be pretty delicious, I would imagine. If you're going to mix your hashade and your iced tea, you're just going to go with it, right? You're a grown-up. You figure it out. All right, so without further ado, I'm going to go straight into the reason you guys are here today, and that is the sit-down with Borough Mayor Charlie Pierce. In the middle of the poop show that currently is the Kenai Peninsula, thank you very much, Kenai Peninsula Borough Mayor Charlie Pierce, for your time. sitting out today with uh, Borough Mayor Charlie Pierce and uh, thank you very much for your time. There's a lot going on in the yeah. borough right now so I appreciate all of this. Um, Thanks for the invite. Alright, so let's jump uh, directly in the topic that you wanted to go into. The, the city manager situation, um, right now the big, one of the big things in the assembly is the city manager, the, the idea of going to a city manager versus a, a strong mayor position. Right. Uh, you are opposed to that. Um, I think that, that the uh, some of the residents or the business owners in the K Beach area mm -hmm. would also um, are also opposed to that. Right. Um, or at least uh, have seen a demonstration of what can happen with a city manager um, uh, in, in a, a situation like that. But you also have other thoughts and experiences on that. Well, you know, I was uh, let me say that uh, it's a, it's a subject that I would just assume not be dealing with right now. There's so many other. Um, and more important things that we need to be worrying about. I think our borough and the history of our borough, if you go back and look, has had a long, long running with strong mayor, and there's uh, there's been just uh, you know a huge success in that relationship and and having the voice of the people um, um, spoken at the time of a, a through the election cycles. You know, they go in, they select their mayor, they have relationships with these individuals. You know, they're they're able to give direction to these individuals and. And I think that uh, if you go back to the uh, the process, as I've mentioned, it's been I think it's been successful. Uh, there's been two uh, two situations that have occurred. I think two time periods that have occurred. And really, what I'd ask people to do is is focus on uh, the specifics that were going on when when these initiatives were created. There's been two times that I'm aware of. Once when I was on the assembly um, in my early career as an assemblyman. Um, Lacking much uh, uh, government experience, you know, coming from a utility-based management um, uh, um, history, uh, going on to the assembly thinking that, uh, you know, I needed to understand more about government. I wasn't happy with my government at the time, and I felt like we could do a better job of making better decisions as to how uh, how we spent our money. You know, back when I was on the assembly, uh, 08 to 14, we had more state revenue. Uh, we were receiving more federal grants. Uh, we were receiving more state grants. Um, we could commonly go to our legislatures and make requests, capital requests. Uh, we had uh, annually, we had an exercise at the assembly level where we went in and picked our top 10 priorities as far as capital improvements in our communities that, by the way, were paid for through grants uh, via the state. 
So what happens? Why did we have these two different uh, opportunities? Or why? I don't even look at them as opportunities. I say, what, what was occurring in government that kind of drove the, the initiative process to have or even talk about having this, this process even considered? And so I'll go back to my experience on the assembly. We had a, we had a, a mayor uh, that was elected by the borough uh, uh, residents. And prior to that, if you looked at the histories of the mayor, most of them had some business experience, had ran some small businesses, had government experience too. Many of them had uh, many years of government experience, so they were well-versed and ready to perform when, when they took office, and um, they adjusted well to the responsibilities of being a mayor. And um, we found ourselves in the 08 to 14 period where, with a mayor uh, that had uh, no business experience, um, was an educator, um, was very well versed in the subject matter that he was teaching uh, to his students, but um, had limited administrative uh, skills, uh, limited business experience, and really struggled. Um, and so I'm, uh, my background being in business, I, I, I became, uh, where I was a supporter initially of this mayor, I became a critic. And there was two of us on the assembly at the time who became very critical of the happenings in our borough. And I would say at that time, nine of the assembly members were concerned about many of the decisions, administrative type decisions that were being made daily. And so if you go back and look at the codes and the changes that were made as it relates to the mayor, um, we really tried to limit the powers of the mayor at that time, um, trying to uh, offset some of the... Um, the changes that we felt were long-term negative impacts on our borough. So I took that position early on, and I was an, a, a, a sponsor of a, an ordinance that would have done exactly what the sponsors of this ordinance are asking for, again, consideration of going to a manager versus a, a strong mayor. Quickly did I get educated. I was very quickly educated by the constituency, my constituency, and and uh, borough residents at large that they weren't interested in going to a uh, similar uh, form of government uh, that uh, the city of Soldotna, the city of Kenai, uh, city of Seward, um, city of Homer had at the time. And and uh, don't get lost in the in the idea that just because these cities have a manager form of government that it's the best methodology and, and, it, and it works and functions real well. Uh, I would say that um, it works great as if you're the manager and you can keep the majority of your uh, council. Uh, you don't really have to worry too much about your residents. You don't. You don't have to worry about what a resident thinks. You got to make sure that your council's happy with you. And just as soon as your, hap your, your council becomes a uh, disenfranchised with your, your ideas and your, your ideologies and your philosophical beliefs. And uh, it could be really simple. It's politics. Somebody comes in and has a bad day and, or has a bad issue and it's not handled exactly how you feel it should be handled. One council member can convince the others to go, um, uh, go on this mission to, uh, change, force change. And, and really it's, it's that simple. Uh, with a strong mayor, um, you have the, the ability to do that as well, uh, but it's the voice of the entire borough, the residents of this borough, um, coming in and going to the ballot box 
and making that change or forcing that change within the ballot box. But it gives every resident that chooses to uh, exercise their rights to vote to go in and make that decision. And so uh, the majority of the residents have voted in a strong mayor for the 50-plus years of the existence of this borough, and it has worked. It has demonstrated that it has worked. What's the risk? Well, you could elect someone on a popularity basis because you're my friend and I like you, and uh, that's the risk. I mean, you wind up with that. But the, the offset of that is, is that uh, you have the ability to go into that uh, uh, through the electoral process and change that every three years. It's a three-year window, uh, and you can go in and change it. Here's the, the, something else that's very, very important that I've learned that I didn't really pay uh, that much attention to. I don't know that I didn't pay that much attention to. I just didn't, didn't understand this when I, was, when I was new, when I was a new assembly member. I, I, um, the, the checks and balances and how government works. That's very, very important. You know, the assembly, um, just like the mayor, voted in by their constituency. But if you look at the percentages on the, on the peninsula, an assembly member has a very small district, generally, um, has a very small number of residents that they represent by, by district uh, compared to a mayor. A mayor is required to pick up over 50% of the residents that live in the borough that vote in any specific election, right? you got to get 50 plus 1 in order to maintain that or to, to uh, uh, have success in an, in an election. And if you don't get that 50%, there's three of you running, you have others running against you and you wind up with less than 50%, you have a runoff. You go back to the election process again and you, you, um, you have to have the 50%. Um, in uh, the assembly's situation, it's the popular vote. It's... Uh, the majority vote wins. If you have three that are running, um, you're not going to have a runoff. You're going to you're going to pick up the seat. And so, oftentimes, uh, you know, um, incumbents, unpopular incumbents, um, you know, they run, and and uh, you know, the more people you have running against you, tends to um, benefit you as a, an incumbent. It's hard to replace an incumbent when you have multiples running against them because all you have to do is pick up the majority of the vote, right? Um, you know, I think that um, I'm uncomfortable as an individual thinking that um, I'm going to be represented by an individual that's going to um, cater to or to be uh, their priorities to be established by, by a, a, a nine-member assembly. Um, if you look at the assemblies that have come through in the uh, in the last few years, um, you know, it, there are, are thinking, I think the model in, the, in America is, is that, you know, we, we're, we're becoming a little bit more um, willing to accept um, things that historically have been rejected. Yeah. And, and I think that um, um, if you're if your plan is, and your plan is, is to go to a, uh, if you really feel like um, you don't like your, your mayor, um, I would encourage you to um, unemploy your mayor through the electoral process and not let, uh, currently right now, two individuals have sponsored this, uh, this ordinance, not let the um, relationships that these two individuals currently have with their mayor um, influence 
uh, a very important decision like this. This is too important a decision uh, to make, and, and you're giving up uh, a considerable amount of consideration and ability to influence decisions uh, by allowing uh, a manager to be hired. He or she would have to make sure that five of our assembly members are happy at at, at all times, where right now my attitude about my job is, is that I answer to roughly, um, you know, 40, 50,000 people that live in this borough. And, and I would tell you that uh, I truly believe I'm everyone's mayor. Um, if you call me, I'll answer my phone. I'll listen to your concerns. Uh, I'll respond to your concerns. I'll try to be the problem solver. I'll try to come up with solutions. I'll try to uh, achieve what you're trying to achieve. Sometimes we get there, sometimes we don't. We also always have the ability to agree to disagree, but at the end of the day, you're gonna know that I've listened to what your concerns are. I picked up the phone, I answered it. Uh, you were allowed to tell me what you thought about me or my performance. And then you were allowing me the opportunity to respond to you as well to try to help you understand why I do what I do and or why I don't do things that you think I should be doing. And uh, I believe that's the role of a mayor. And, um, you know, I, I think that, again, I'll just go back to the history of this borough, and I think it's been ran very well through this, this process. And, and I don't believe that the residents today are ready to change that. Um, I would encourage the cities that are in the borough to consider a strong mayor form of government uh, I mean, if you, you look at the struggles that the cities are having, uh, I mean, it's all about, uh, you know, service, delivering services, what those services are going to cost, and then how to do it at the least cost to serve and, and still maintain a, a, a respectable level of, of uh, deliverance on the services. And so, um, you know, I currently feel like this initiative has been brought about because of the uh, who's your mayor rather than uh, it making a whole lot of sense. Yeah. Look at the cost component of it. You know, when you look at the fiscal note on this situation, uh, you currently pay your mayor $99,000 a year um, plus a health care plan. And, uh, you know, if you were to hire a strong or, or a manager form of government, I can tell you that as mayor, uh, knowing the job and knowing what it involves, uh, I'm considerably underpaid. Uh, I believe for the contributions that I've made to your borough, but I'm also a, an individual that um, I ran and I'm at a time in my life where I've already worked one career. I can afford to accept that salary. I wouldn't work, for, if I had to work, I wouldn't work for this salary and do the job that I'm doing. I would ask for a, a much higher salary. And This is and a rough retirement it. gig. Like you've, it you've, is. Uh, you, you've retired, you've, uh, you kind of like inherited like a, like a poop show. Like there's a lot going well, on. There is. You know, we came into office uh, with a $4.5 million deficit, if you'll recall, in FY18. The Navarre was leaving. Mr. Navarre was leaving office, and his solution to fix the problem was to roll the mill rate one mill, put one mill on, the, on there. And I came in and said, let me run the budget for eight months and see if I can come up with any savings. And I've had conversations with Mr. Navarre along the way, and don't, don't let me take anything away from this man. He was right. It's difficult. It's hard to do. And his comments to me was, you can't do it, Charlie. You can't cut enough to balance things, to make things work. And, and what I would say is, is that without the blessings that we've received from other forms of revenue, 
that being pilt, um, sales tax revenue, um, some fish tax receipts, some, um, some uh, um, forestry receipts. Uh, these things have come in and we've estimated them lower than what they've come in at. And, and it's provided us with some, sa with some uh, extra revenue, but, which has avoided the need to raise taxes. But I also be very clear about this, that I've been very mindful in watching where we spend the money, how we spend the money. And I can say that in the two fiscal years that I've been here, uh, we've come up with an excess of $2 million in each one of those years and actual cost savings, real cost savings. First things we did was we stopped a lot of the travel out of state. You know, we quit going to Las Vegas for training. You know, we quit those annual trips for training. We're sending folks for training. We continue to send folks for training. Most of the training that we send folks to today is reimbursed. Yeah. They're on reimbursable plans. Most of the training that we go to are training that is required to keep your certificates or to work in the positions that you're, they require certain certificates. Yeah. Most of it's emergency personnel, uh, finance, uh, finance department, uh, the legal department, um, some of those things. But by all means, we've, we've instituted a, a lot of different uh, smart technology to help us work smarter. And uh, real efficiency is coming from that. Um, you know, we've just, we've, we've readjusted some schedules in the, the, uh, emergency services side of things so that we take advantage of the actual, uh, full-time equivalencies that we have there and, and, and incorporate that and run that through into the response times. We still have some, uh, public safety issues that I'm trying to address. And the way we're going to address them is by adding some additional personnel. We're going to need to do that. Um, it's necessary. We've got miles. We've got miles and miles of road. We've got more and more houses. We've got more and more infrastructure. We've got more people living here. And what I would say is, is, is that we've probably been understaffed for a number of years. And that in the former administrations, one of the ways they acquired their savings to demonstrate savings was to perhaps avoid um, shoring up some of those emergency respond responders. But I can tell you in the recent fires that we've had, I can tell you how stretched thin we are. We're very, very thin. Okay. Um, so that kind of goes to uh, one of the other topics that I, I wanted to get to. Um, what do you think is uh, making this fire season particularly ha harsh, and like, how do we prepare going forward? Well, you know, it's no rain, obviously. We're having a, a very um, uh, anomaly in the way of historical uh, trends as far as rain. Uh, we haven't had any. And so everything's extra, extra dry, right? And so with that comes some of the responsibilities that we have as individuals to be a safeguard, make our homes firewise. Well, firewise your homes. Look, if you've got big spruce trees out there against your house, you're piling your firewood up against your house, move it. Cut those trees down. Get somebody to come in, cut those trees down. Keep your grass mowed away from your house. Tall grass is a fuel source for a fire. Firewise your house. Make your home safe. If you're going to barbecue, are you going to burn your trash? Uh, chances are right now you're not going to do it because I helped institute a burn ban yeah. on the peninsula. It's in that, it's it's been instituted. Uh, there's a um, a burn ban on currently right now. So if you're if you historically burn your trash, put it in a bag and haul it to one of the collection sites, and we'll take care of it for you. Please take the time to do these things. Uh, if you want to burn some debris, 
Right now is not the time to burn the debris. But going forward, let's see what. How do we do this and work work so that we're we, we don't have these events or we can try to avoid them. On the fifth of June, we had a lightning strike. We were um, my chief of staff and I were driving back from Anchorage and we watched a lightning storm. There was a squall that came through the the mountain ridge there. We dropped down onto the flats there. And we watched the rainfall and the the electrical storm. Uh, in fact, we were the we were one of many, I'm sure, that called in the Watson Lake fire. Um, there was a lightning strike there on the side of the road. We watched it occur. It was next to our vehicle. Boom! There was fire immediately in the dry grass and the debris that was there, the ground cover that was there. It burned pretty hot and pretty fast. It was a pretty big fire, fire real fast. And I could see it. We could see it running even when the rain. Rainfall that was going on at the time. This there, fire was running at home. That's like making yeah. a joke that like someone was trying to tell you something. Yeah, with it with the lightning. Strike. Right there, you go. They try. It was trying to. Yeah, they, it, we dodged it. <laughs> we dodged it. Sorry, you didn't hit us. Uh, try again. We uh, we reported that fire, but you know, there's decisions that are made, and depending on where you're at for in the state lands, federal lands, state lands, uh, borough lands, there's just decisions that are made. I'm going to try to sit at the table with those decision makers and try to influence them uh, to perhaps uh, put a higher level of safeguard in areas where you have populations similar to uh, Cooper Landing, Sterling, and close proximities. Down on the North Fork Fire, Anchor Point, you got housing in close proximity. You know, you got Diamond Ridge down over Homer where the North Fork Fire could run up over the hill. Um, that was a, a, a burn barrel, I understand, that caused that fire. Um, the Caribou Hill Lake fire, I'm not sure what the origin of that fire was, but it's running. It's burned hundreds of acres now. It continues to burn. Um, these fires, after they occur, require a huge a number of individuals and in in a, in large numbers of dollars to support the effort to control. You, you know, fighting a fire, you know, the, the concept or this mindset might be, well, they're going to put it out. Well, what they do is they control it. They try to control it. And in most cases, the weather puts it out. The rain or snow comes and it puts it out. But what they're trying to do is control it and keep it from reaching those places like such as our homes or our businesses or infrastructure and protect property and life. You know, we're trying to keep homes from burning down or anybody from being injured in a fire. That's their first priority in a fire um, suppression. And so... With that, with all the dry weather that we've had, no unseasonably dry conditions, these fires with a little bit of wind are, uh, can easily get out of control. And we watched a fire that was 80% contained at the Swan Lake fire uh, have a 40-knot, 40 40-knot, 50 50-knot wind on a, a last Saturday morning, and it forced it to blow out. And and it, they were it, you could call it it was simmering. It was sitting there smoldering in wherever it was at. And it was wind or fanned by this 40-mile-an-hour wind, and pretty soon now it's a full-fledged fire, an inferno, and it's being blown by a 40-knot, continuous 40-knot wind. And it there's no stopping it at that point. It runs, it runs hard and fast. And unless you've got a Type 1 team, and that's the, the, the most highly trained and the largest group of uh, professionals sitting in front of it trying to control and creating some lines of attack or backburns into it you don't put it out it runs and it can get out of control very very quick um, they were not able to get in uh, because of the winds and the and the smoke uh, they were not able to do an aerial attack so they were, everything that was done on ground was limited at best you're not going to put your personnel in there and risk their safety as well so there, that consideration was made as well so 
My play in this would be, um, obviously there's some concerns out there about the traffic control measures. I observe that too. I'm going to work with them on that. We're going to do a better job in our incident uh, command teams to develop long-term traffic control plans that could be used, dropped in, and depending on wherever you're at in close proximity to a major highway. Highway transportation, being able to open up those highways and get the materials and the goods and services that we need that we rely on every day. Um, it really is... Uh, kind of a daunting experience to say that we went two or three days initially with this fire where we had some long periods where the road was closed. And it was very, very apparent when you went into the stores that some of the produce was first hit, then the dairy, um, and you could see some uh, some really imp serious impacts uh, occurring uh, just from a two-day or three-day uh, uh, limited closure or limited passage through that highway. And it, uh, the mail didn't go out. Um, you know, there was delays in postage, there's delays in goods and services, and so we want to put a better plan, or I want to try to sit at the table and influence those decision makers to put travel plans together. And then the other thing that I think is most important, the voice that I hear of the people is, is that put it out if you can. If you live close, if we have a fire that occurs, even in federal lands that are in close proximity to uh, Sterling or to Anchor Point or um, to... Um, Cabin, uh, Caribou Lake or wherever, Homer, uh, Seward, uh, in the borough, anywhere in the borough where you have a close uh, uh, proximity of a fire to residents, I would say that the effort, the first effort and rule of thumb would be a hard, fast attack and put it out. Put it out. Drain it. Drench it. Put it out. But, you know, there's uh, some out there that believe, well, we need habitat. We have lots of trees that are out there that are uh, dead or dying. And that's a lot of fuel. That's a huge fuel source. And so my voice at the table will be, okay, we've spent in excess of $30 million, or we will at the end of the day on this Swan Lake fire. Give me $10 million, and we will put together, we will contract out with contractors on the peninsula to create a spruce bark beetle uh, removal program on the peninsula. And we'll go out and we'll, we'll remove all the trees in, within the, entire boundaries of the Kenai Peninsula and you know instead of throwing it at a fire where you're dealing with smoke uh, delay of business delay of traffic where you have huge impacts on people people impacts and I'm going to try to influence the decision makers to try to minimize those people impacts in the future as we uh, manage these incidents and um, that's my takeaway from this 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 incident that is occurring right now um, you know, we're, we also provide support. Our emergency service personnel are, are some of the most highly trained individuals. And, and trust me, if you ever need one of them, they're going to be able to deliver a huge service to you. And so um, don't forget to stop and say thank you to a firefighter or emergency personnel or to the uh, law enforcement folks that are down here that, that try to protect us and try to create things commonplace for everybody and keep things no as normal as possible. Uh, they do a huge service every day. I can't say enough, uh, thank them enough. Uh, the firefighters that are flown in and flown out that are uh, displaced from their families for long-term periods, sleep in a tent, you know, camp in the woods, deal with the bugs, the heat, the hot, carrying in chainsaws, pulling hose for, for plumbing, and, and, you know, just dealing with the elements. It's a huge, huge effort, and I can't even imagine uh, the, um, the amount of... Uh, um, contribution they're making there. I thank them all for that. Um, we're going to go back. I think I'm going to be invited to the table to be part of the the um, 
the shareholders or the uh, folks that make help influence some of the future decisions as it relates to the fires. Okay, I, I think it's important. By the way, yeah, if you if you run into a to a, a firefighter or a cop or anything, especially thing, things are a little, are a little sketchy right now. We're dealing yeah. with road closures. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've I wanted to ask you, but I've heard rumors of fuel shortages. Um, oh. I don't know if you've heard some of these. Things. I haven't heard that. Very uh, food. I've heard of food in the stores that were impacted. I've heard of mail. I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, I was uh, in Cooper Landing on Sunday morning. Um, I was there Saturday night. Uh, Sunday morning, early Sunday morning, I arrived in Cooper Landing, and I can tell you that um, I witnessed some things that, um, you know, I, I, you know, until you see it yourself, you really, it doesn't impact you as greatly until, you know, you can hear someone on the phone, you can hear their cries, you can feel it, you can understand the frustrations in people, but you know what, what made a real difference for me was standing out there on the road in Cooper Landing and watching the amount of traffic and the congestion that was coming into the town, uh, stopping cars within a quarter of a mile to where a fire was at. Um, traffic control was a real concern right away for me. Smoke is a big concern for me. It has been all summer for the last 10, 11, 12 weeks. Those are some of the considerations and impacts that we'll talk about when we sit at the table and do a, a wrap-up and a, and a review of what can we do better in the future. Yeah, because there are going to be some real long-term health concerns with, with the, the, the burning of the smoke through the summer. Um, yeah, so the, yeah, there's a lot going on. There are going to be some long-term things we've got to, if you're, to really if, put you know, in if you're in a, What I'd say, tell folks is, you know, you you have options. You you need to exercise those options. If there's a health risk for you, you need to remove yourself from those uh, from the area. You need to go where you can find clean, clean air. And there are communities that are not as impacted with the smoke or have been. Uh, you know, we, we had... Uh, most of the prevailing winds for the majority of the, what, 12 weeks, that 12, 13 weeks we've experienced the Swan Lake fire have been blowing either towards Seward or Anchorage. And so you had the lower peninsula that could have been a, a maybe an escape for you. You know, as individuals, what I would say is, is that we need to do what we have to do to protect ourselves as individuals. Clearly it's, you know, um, we're, government's role will be to safeguard and, and give you the big picture of what's happening and tell you it's time to leave your home. We're trying to stop this fire, but we're not certain that we can. And they've got the, the line of the breakout lines, the go ready uh, lines on their maps, and they're monitoring things very closely. But I can assure you that as individuals, um, we are we should also take personal responsibilities. This is a an event that should tell you that um, be prepared. Have a bag packed. We live in a, a you know, an earthquake zones, uh, size very seismic uh, state that's subject to to large earthquakes that can impact us for days. Lots of fresh water, um, food that's uh, not perishable is important to have all of us. And you know, we get complacent. We think, ah, well, it'll never happen to me. We think it all will never happen to me. It'll never happen to me. And just as soon as you do that, it happens to you. So um, work smart, uh, be safe, create safe provisions in your homes uh, so that you can respond and have a better experience when and if a bad event occurs. You know, that's what what uh, what we do is, is we try to plan so that the experience, even if it's a serious and, a, and an uncontrollable event, uh, that the outcomes are 
perhaps, or why you go through the, the, the exercise that you, you feel like you have some level of control and certainty as to how it's going to end. That helps everybody get through those unsafe or those, those events. And so, um, you know, government has a, a role, but I think that uh, government's role is limited too. And, uh, you know, we, we can respond, but even our response is sometimes questionable whether it'll work, you know, it won't be 100%. We, can have, we have to work as individuals too. Uh, back to safe, uh, you know, I look at, at many of the homes that you look, drive up to a home. You see the large trees and heavy vegetation right up against the house. Uh, listen, that's a fuel source. You're, you're creating a uh, kindling for a fire. And if a fire occurs, you know, you're going to get the hotshot teams. You're going to get CES or you're going to get Nikiski fire. You're going to get Anchor Point fire, Homer, Kisa. You're going to get Seward fire. You're going to have those fire departments respond and try to keep your house safe. You are and keep you safe. But I got to tell you, their jobs would be a lot more. They'd have greater success rates if we would do just a little front-end work for them and make our homes safer. Firewise is an important, important thing. That's well, the, uh, the personal accountability thing. Like it you, is. You have to, uh, you, if you, as a homeowner, these are your responsibilities. Sure. As a pet sure. owner, these, as a parent, these are your That's responsibilities. Right. That's right. So, yeah. So, yeah. Um, before we get into any of the teacher stuff, are you yeah. still, uh, are you still, um, Making your bed first thing in the morning? Yes. As soon as you get out? Yes. Okay. Every day. Consistency. Thanks. I dig it. I do. Um, <laughs> it's kind of, some people call it an illness, but I, uh, I've kind of been raised that way. Consistencies, yeah. con- consistent, yeah. like if you're doing one good thing the first yeah. thing in the, in the morning, right. you're, you're probably doing okay. Right. Um, so my, my wife is a teacher and, okay. and I am, I don't want to say I'm willfully ignorant of. Tell her I said thank you. I will Thank you. absolutely Tell do that. that. Yeah. Um, as the mayor, what is your role in the, the current negotiations? Uh, you know, I don't really have a role in that. I think I'm monitoring it. I'm trying to be encouraging to both sides. Uh, I've said that, um, you know, no one wins should, should uh, the, at the end of the day, they not be able to reach it an agreement and someone walks off the job. No one wins. That's not a win-win situation. You're not going to win when you do that. Now, you might make your point. You might get your point across, but you're not going to win. Um, you're going to suffer, too. Um, what I always encouraged is to stay at the table and, and continue to, to negotiate, even when you disagree. Negotiation is called negotiation for a reason. It takes time. Sometimes those, we get frustrated with the amount of time it takes, but I give it time. And if you give it time, oftentimes things can be worked out. Um, my role as mayor is really to um, uh, manage the borough. I don't manage the school district. I, I, don't, I do not uh, provide direction or have responsibility for the elected officials that uh, are on the school board. I vote too. So when I go in and vote, I vote for school board members just like you. And um, if, uh, if, they make those decisions. So um, you've got the administration. They prepare their budget with the school board. School board approves the budget. They forward the budget, their budget requests or their revenue requests to the borough. And then we take their uh, consideration, uh, their budget con- uh, considerations into account. And we look at our own budget. And we determine at what level we can meet uh, the obligations that have been requested of us. 
Okay. That's the role the mayor plays. Um, you know, the mayor's job is, number one job is to produce a budget and manage that budget throughout the fiscal year. Uh, there's nine assembly members that uh, do the appropriation. The appro they're in charge of the, pro the appropriations. They're the one that ultimately approves the mayor's budget. I don't like calling it the mayor's budget. I call it the, uh, you know, when I went into office, I, I met with the, the directors, some of the staff members, and I said, this is not the mayor's budget. This is your budget. It's our budget. And what I've tried to do is incorporate the, the minds and the thinkings of all the directors in the borough and the, uh, the, the managers in the borough and the employees in the borough to help influence the outcome and the development of the budget. What I've always found is, is when you're included in the process and you have ownership in that process or you take ownership in that process, you tend to provide your greatest amount of thinking and your greatest amount of input and, and commitment to the process. And so... I've found we've had a, I've been, I'm very complimentary of the borough employees. They're really uh, very hardworking individuals. They're dedicated, they're loyal, they're, they're committed, um, and they're really, really working hard to try to make things work. My job is to make sure that I can explain the whys and the how comes and, and this is some opportunity, this is the direction we perhaps should be going. But as mayor, I'm also always willing to be influenced and to be convinced that we need to go in a different direction or, or in uh, uh, what I found is by reaching out to these individuals that uh, we have a, a lot of common thinking. All right. So um, is one of the, the major sticking points with the teachers is the, the rising cost of health care. Do, do you see a solution in that? Yeah, you know, that's something that, uh, you know, the last administration made a commitment to work on, and, and I think they learned a lot about health care. And what, we're, what, what I see in health care is, is that there's so many segments. What we've done is, is the, the insurance providers have created the markets and they're trying to control the market. And what's the best way to control the market is, is to have these little fractions, and we're all fragmented, so we're all kind of doing a little different things we all have different benefits and and so i talk i talk about if you go into a cafeteria you can you can decide what you want to eat for the day and every item you pick has a cost that comes with it same thing with insurance insurance coverage you know there's different uh, services that are provided or benefit uh, benefits that are extended to to various groups and they're all different and they all come with different costs but you've got these healthcare providers out there that that, that manage these plans and provide the insurance to you at x costs so they're all out there looking and and strategizing and trying to get the greatest return for the services that they're delivering okay so look at it as a you know for I call it whatever business you want to call it it's it's you know we select our benefits we have a selection uh, opportunity so not not only that but You've got different groups that are represented. You've got the teachers union. You've got the boroughs and borough employees. And you've got the hospital employees. You've got different groups that have different insurances. And just like uh, your your employer may provide insurance, health care insurance, and you may have to pay X for it or make a contribution every month to have that insurance. Um, when I retired, left uh, left my pro former career, I paid uh, you know somewhere somewhere around seven hundred dollars a month to have health care family plan. Uh, my family members, my children were included in the plan, and and I got it, it was an 80-20 plan. Basically, they covered 80% of all of the the services that were provided, but they had thresholds in there that 
you know, out-of-pocket expense for the year. So once you reached your out-of-pocket expense, they covered 100% of any health care. If you had a bad year, you know, you'd, you'd pick up that, that uh, minimum threshold that you had to out-of-pocket uh, pay, and then they'd pick up the addition. All of them are different. All the costs are different. It's what are the options you want. So if you want to, as a group, if you want to pay less for your insurance, then you have to go in and you have to get rid of some of the, maybe you put the pie back. Maybe you put the, uh, the, the extra bread that you ordered back or you, the, the salad with your soup. You put some of those options back and all of a sudden you start lowering what it costs you to be covered under the general plan. There's general plans out there that are there. But, you know, you have, I know that uh, I've looked at some of the, the school district's plan versus the borough's plan. They're different in what they offer, and the costs are different as a, as a, as a result. And so what I'd say is look at the options that you have. If you want a Cadillac plan, you know, or you want a, you want a Volkswagen, you're going to pay a Volkswagen price. If you got a Cadillac or a Mercedes or a Porsche, going to pay the Porsche price for it so there's there is some relevance in that and connections in that and so I'd say shop try to shop get the best price go out and shop those uh, companies that are managing your plan and see if you can get some cost savings there the industry has their standard and their averages they're all talking to each other knowing what one company's charging versus the next it's competitive here's how we Here's how you accomplish economies of scale is you take all governance employees, you put them under one plan, and you look for a service provider that will give you the greatest amount. When you have more people contributing, chances are your service provider can probably afford to do the cost at a little bit less, lower cost. That's one concept, some thoughts about that. Now, that comes with controls. Everybody wants to control their own planning. When you have negotiated terms and conditions under a, a contractual agreement, you're kind of stuck in some agreements, and it, it prevents you from being flexible enough to where maybe you're not able to go and leave this agreement. You're tied into it for a term, and you can't go and shop and look over here and join with another group, a larger group, that might be getting a better price. So until, we, until we're willing to take down a lot of these walls and a lot of these uh, fences that we build around ourselves and come together and look at common plans and put something out there and put strategize and, and really go out and, and with numbers, you know, numbers tend when you have more customers and more, you're providing a greater service to a larger group of people. You can usually cover a lot of your overheads on the front end by being able to do that. It lowers the cost. And so those are some of the concepts, but again, it's back to how do we get there? That's the, that's the rub in the room. How do we get there? That's a lot of the problem. It's not just what it costs, but how do we get to the point where we can, we can actually break down some of these contractual agreements that will allow us to work together. Trust me, the service providers that are out there providing the insurance are loving it. As long as they can keep us fragmented and keep us divided and keep us in long little groups, they can afford to charge us more. It's great. Well, it works like that. That cycle exists in everything. That it cycle does. exists in the media. It's it's it all it's all based on fragmenting society rather than getting people exactly. together to have conversations exactly. to figure out these solutions. I, I doubt highly that my insurance company loves me and has my yeah. best interest in mind. Well, um, they would they would prefer that you never file a claim. 
Uh, and, and I would prefer to take care of myself and do the things that I know I'm supposed to do so that I don't have to go to the doctor. Hopefully you'd never have to. That's yeah, true. Yeah. You know, we never know when we're going to need it. Um, it's a blessing to have it when we need it. Yeah. And I think that, uh, you know, it's it, everything, you don't, you know, that there, there's folks out there that say, well, we should have it, but. I learned long, long, t- a long time ago. I was raised in a in an environment where I learned very young that there are no free rides. Someone's going to pay for it. So you may not be, uh, you may not be contributing, and you may be receiving a benefit. But what I would tell you is, someone's paying the premium for that benefit. Yeah. There's, uh, my dad said something very similar. Like, uh, yeah. there's no free lunch. That's so, right. Yeah. There is no free lunch. Um, so, but there's a lot of people being provided free lunches. Okay, there's a lot of systems out there that are providing a lot of free lunches, and so it, it goes back to all of us looking and saying, where can we contribute? How can we all work together to help contribute to meet the ends, meet meet, meet all ends? So, oh yeah, for the greater good. That's right. All right. So um, one of the big things that is that has gotten the news. Uh, uh, lately, um, and, and around, uh, well, actually out of the state, is the current situation with uh, involving Zach Brown, uh, singer Zach Brown, right. the borough assembly, right. um, some of the members of the assembly, and uh, yeah. Zach's neighbor. Um, do you have any thoughts on uh, on what's what's happened in the past and what's going forward? Uh, if, do you have any idea? Yeah, I, I would I would just say that that uh, you know. As Alaskans, um, the thing I would encourage all of us to do is be good neighbors. Okay, let's start there. Let's start being respectful of each other and uh, start with a, a good neighbor concept. Uh, be a neighbor. And, and you know, for whatever reason, and I don't know why, there seems to be um, a tendency that uh, we get into, and it's part of the, uh, the human characteristic is, is that um, someone has a greater advantage or someone's at a disadvantage and, and someone's going to go out and correct it and make it right. Okay. Um, Zach Brown, uh, fell in love with Alaska, came to Alaska, has friends here, was introduced to Alaska like many of us. And it really, for me, it doesn't matter so much that it, he, who it is. And I, I really don't care who it is, uh, I think what we should try to do is strive to um, allow individuals to um, uh, be respected. And this individual went out and bought in excess of 100 acres on the side of a hill. And on that hill... It's a lot of property. It is a lot of property. He bought a lot of property for a reason. Yeah. It's so that he could put himself in into a, um, a location that where it could be private. Now, you, you could question, well, why did you buy on Dorothy Drive? And, and, well, he bought on Dorothy Drive because he liked the bluff over the edge. and He, got a, he bought there. And he quickly, soon, uh, shortly before he ever started to build, he became neighbors with his neighbors. He became neighborly with his neighbors, and they came up with a concept that said, hey, we'd, we'd like to put a gate up here. You know, he's got some notoriety, and, and with people with notoriety, there tends to be uh, 
people that are curious and they want to come up and the unfortunate part with Zach Brown's location is, is that his house is in close proximity to the road. And so it's almost as if, if you go to look at him or go to see his place, you're going to drive almost as if you're in his driveway, you know, right at his front door. And so had his plan would have, would work if, if his neighbors, if all of uh, the, uh, individuals that live in Homer would work with them. And his plan was, is, well, I'll just create a gated community. And so they go through the process, start the process of creating a gated community. And I, as mayor, I looked at it and said, well, I, I don't see any problems with this. We'll try to accommodate you. We didn't have an ordinance on the books at the time that allowed for the borough to manage the concept of a gated community plat wise you know yeah. the planning department because you're changing plats when you do this and you're also maybe just uh, decertifying the road the residents are actually taking the control of the road back and so you got the, this concept though on a greater higher level you got this concept of wait a minute i live in homer and even though i live 10 miles down the road from this dorothy drive and i've never been on dorothy drive that borough right-of-way the right-of-way there is called what? Public right-of-way. It's public. And so this, there's this minutia there about public and what rights I have as an individual to that public right-of-way or that public easement or that there was a section line that had been vacated uh, by the state at one time and the state had requested that the borough, when they redid the plat, when the section line was vacated, asked the borough to leave a 10-foot pedestrian easement up through there. Now, whoever asked for that at the state obviously had never gone out and actually physically looked at the uh, topography of the area because it's a, a very, very steep slope off the edge of this. It's like 53%. 53% grade. It's wooded. It, the only way you could use it, if you wanted to use it, you'd have to tack back and forth. And when you did that, you'd be outside of your 20-foot easement. You're going to trespass in the process of doing that. And Zach's saying, wait, I don't want you trespassing. I don't want you close to my home. I bought 100 acres. I don't want you up next to my house. He, he bought 100 acres on a mountain in Homer, Alaska. Right. Yeah, he right. did it because he didn't want a bunch of neighbors. Right. I mean, right. he did that for the same reason yeah, a lot of us move up here. He did. And, and you know, he rightfully paid for the land. He bought it from somebody and paid for it. And... So there's a group, I believe, that has exercised their rights to say, wait a minute, we have access to that. It's our right to access it. And there's a, he doesn't want them coming across his property. And so when you go back to the uh, origin of section lines and they were created so that you could get to your property. So if you owned land up on the side of that hill, your access to that property, or you're guaranteed certain accesses through that section line. So if you were to look at the properties that exist up there today, today, in 2019, every property that could be served by that section line has alternative access. So you met the requirement or the definition of providing access to every property. And so the, it brings up the question, well, what would purpose would someone that lives 10 miles away have, why would you need to use that trail? Well, 
uh, it's so I can get to Dorothy Drive is what many of them are saying. Well, wait a minute, I want to get to Dorothy Drive. Well, Dorothy Drive has other accesses to it. You could walk or drive your car up to Dorothy Drive up the side of that hill. There's lots of roads up there now. And access has been provided for all of the properties that are in question here. And so it gets back to that respect issue then. Um, well, I'm going to force my rights on you. I know you want privacy, but I'm not going to give you your privacy. And that's where I, I have a hard time understanding why people want to argue to that extent. And just to make a point, it's the principle, I guess. And what I would say is, is that are we truly being uh, Alaskans and, and being good neighbors by uh, trying to create uh, an argument on, a, on an easement that you've never used or that you'll never use? Uh, most of you anyway, and, and a few are trying to, it's the principle for you, and what I'd ask you to do is just perhaps take your principles and apply them to something that's more important. I, I know it's important for people, and I don't want to take anything away from somebody that really has some importance in it, but I go back to that respect issue, and I said, this man has come in here, and he wants to be a good neighbor, and his contributions to the community oh, I've heard, will, be, I've heard will be very, very uh, significant, and I'd say that get to know him. Um, he's a very, very nice individual. He's not an individual that uh, believes that you owe him anything. He doesn't want anything from you. Um, he's a very humbled man. Um, he's a very, he's a, he's a, he's a family person and he's a, he could be a very good neighbor. He played Balad. <laughs> um, Blood Air, uh, Blood yeah. Air Base, uh, yeah. in Iraq. Like yeah. he played like at sundown. It was yeah, right. a beautiful photo. Yeah. Um, did you see him? I yeah. I'd al I'd already left. Yeah. Uh, I believe he came yeah. with uh, with Kid Rock around like right. that November December. Right. So I had already. Like, hey, here here's back. a real. He's a very generous generous person. Um, you know, he's not a person that that. Uh, I mean, certainly he is a very successful man, and he has beautiful. He sings beautiful music. Um, you know, he 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 shares his love for music and his. A creativity and his artistic abilities with with anyone that is interested in it he does a lot of good stuff for children and for veterans and and for um you know active duty folks um you know he's a he's an american and he could be um your best neighbor your good neighbor and what he's asking for is just a little piece of a, a sweet spot and homer that he can share with his family and his close friends and and you could be one of them, I, I would suspect. And, and But what I'm not uh, real impressed with is this how some of our elected officials have handled themselves uh, as it relates to this issue. And, um, and I would say that if you're an elected official, um, you're going to be held and you should be held to a higher standard. Do you want to say names? Uh, no, I, they, they, they know, know who they, they are. are. Yeah. They know who they are, and they, they know that I know who they are, too. And, and so we don't need to point fingers at them. I won't do it, be real direct about it, but I would say this. I'll say it again. If you're an elected official, you know, you, you can't turn your, uh, your, your fact that you're elected off and on selectively at will. And in one minute, be, well, an individual speaking on behalf of yourself, and then and two minutes later acting like an elected official. You don't get to turn that on or off. When you're elected as an elected official, uh, you know, 365 days a year, 24 hours a day, um, you know, you're, you're an elected official. You're not, you don't get to, uh, you, you gave up your, your rights to your personal uh, life when you became an elected official. And if you haven't figured that out, perhaps you might want to 
try to figure that out because uh, pe people are going to hold you to a higher standard. And by doing that, what I would say is, is that, you know, you take an oath of office that says you're going to, you're going to do what's in the best interest of the borough and the residents of that borough. You're going to follow the constitution of the state of Alaska and you're going to follow the constitution of the state of America, you know, U S constitution. And you're going to be, you know, you're going to, you're going to show character and values and you're going to be respectful and you're going to try to bring, bring, uh, divisiveness and differences and you're going to try to solve some of those differences for the betterment of all for the majority and i guess you know and and try to be humble about it um it's an honor to be the mayor i've never let the being the mayor uh change my um thought processes to whether i can or can't do something i serve everyone i serve all residents in the borough whether you like me or not i'm your mayor yeah. and you can call me and i'll answer my phone so, out of the, out of curiosity, um, of the new candidates, there there are a couple of new names that have popped up in, right. in assembly. Uh, mm -hmm. Pamela Parker, uh, the owner of Everything Bagels, being one of them. Jesse Bjorkman is uh, Pamela Parker is running for city council. I believe city council. City say city council. Yeah. Uh, right. I, I, right. Yeah. Um, what would you say to to someone like uh, Mr. Bjorkman or Mrs. Parker who are first time candidates? Um, uh, what would you say to them? Well, I would say that, um, uh, wow, that's a tough question. It is. Question. It is. Like, you've, um, you've given a, you've, like, anyone uh, listening right now has gotten, like, 50 reasons to never run for office. One of them right, is that, that right. like, you are consistently on call. You are, yeah, you're, right. you're always responsible. You're right. always held to that standard. Right. Um, and that's, that is a lot for someone to, uh, to, to really take on. Well, here's what I would say is, is that there are, there, I have my critics, obviously. There's people out there that criticize you. You know, in, in America today, one of the things I find kind of ironic and a little different is, is, is that we're willing to open our mouths and, and, and promote something, even, even though we know it's wrong. We're willing to be wrong and deliver inaccurate information knowing that it's inaccurate but we're still willing to say it and so what i'd say is, is that speaks to the character of the individual and it's troubling for me i find that you know if, if boy if i make a mistake or i state something and i don't have it right i'm going to correct myself right away i'm going to go out and i'm going to say i made a mistake when i sponsored and well, I truly felt like I was making a good decision when I sponsored an ordinance to create a strong uh, or, a, or a manager form of government, get rid of the strong mayor form of government, and it was a mistake. I tell you today it was a mistake. And I had some things that I needed to learn that I didn't know then, and so I'm here today telling you, you know, years later that, you know, I made mistakes, and I'll make mistakes as mayor. And as I'm called on them, or as I learn along the way and I evolve and I hopefully get better uh, and become more informed, I'll make better decisions. But if I've made mistakes, I'm only gonna, always going to be willing to correct my mistakes. So here's what I say. You asked about two individuals. And I'd say I've been schooled by these individuals. But what I've also tried to do is view them as critics. And I view my critics as uh, some of my best friends. I view you as a friend. And, and I do that because I think that as you criticize me, I listen. And what I try to do as an individual is learn from what you're saying, listen to your perspective, and try to be better as a result of your criticism towards me. 
So some people take criticism and they take it to heart and they take it differently. They respond, respond defensively. And you'll find me defend myself. I will. I'm, I do defend myself and I defend my thinking. But I'm also an individual that you can continue to challenge and convince me that I'm wrong. I like that. I like that exchange of tell, prove to me I'm wrong. Prove to me that I'm wrong. And I will go in a different direction. I'll go with you. I'll break bread with you. I'll carry water for you. And you, we can carry water together. But you know what? There are people that for whatever reason see good people with good intentions getting a lot done. And I don't know why they could. I, you know, I see people that I don't particularly align with politically getting a lot of good stuff done. And I want to get on board and help them. I have a tendency of this urge to where, I want, hey, I want to help you. I want to help you continue getting what you're trying to get done, done. And yet, uh, in, in our own borough, with Charlie Pierce as your mayor, uh, I've had uh, a tough time with five individuals on the assembly uh, consistently. Uh, having a very, very hard, it hasn't been easy being your mayor and to trying to accomplish anything. That said, I've not allowed their displeasure or their uh, dislikes of me uh, to become personal between me or them. Uh, I continue to forge ahead and f try to stay focused on those things that I believe, if accomplished, would be beneficial for all of the residents that live in the Kenai Peninsula Borough. Um, there was, there, there's one pending thing that I, I really did want to, um, talk to you specifically to, um, okay. and it is the, uh, the annexation on Cape Beach. This right. is one that, that, right. uh, has been asked for me right. to bring up to you. Um, okay. it, it, correct me if I'm wrong. In the past, you've spoken in opposition of it without being done at a vote. Do you, uh, is that correct? That's correct. Okay. That's, Still I'm on the record with it. Yeah. Same. And I've changed my position. Okay. You know, if you're going to, if you're going to annex my home. Uh, and I've heard from the folks that are out there. And if you look at the survey results, you look at the actual numbers, this, you know, let's talk about the city of Saldana specifically, KB Road. They hired an independent to go out and collect data for them, and then they ignored it. You know, they hire someone. If you're going to hire somebody, listen, here's my advice to you. Save your money. Don't hire a consultant to go out and do a survey if you're not going to do anything with it when you get the information back because you don't like the results. Wasn't it like $100,000 that they spent? I don't know. It was a, it was a ridiculous know. number they spent on the survey. And what they got Terrible. back was that nobody wanted Terrible. it. It wasn't a good idea. No one was excited about it. Listen, if you're an elected official, if you're an elected official, I got here's my message to you, and you're going to come out and annex my property, what I'm going to do is I'm going to work real, real hard. If, you, if you're successful... In the future, I'm going to work real, real hard to make sure you're unelectable in the future. Because I think the voice of the people in Saldana, and on Cape Beach Road specifically, they're outside the city of Saldana, have said that if you're going to annex me, let's do a vote. That's all they've said. Let's do a vote. And, of course, you've got the those in there say, well, you can't do a vote. You can't do a vote. Yes, you can. You can actually send a ballot to those people that are actually affected by your desire to annex them. You can selectively send a ballot to those individuals, okay? You can take two votes, two separate votes. You can, vote, you can take a vote of the people that are in the city boundary and say, do you support the concept of annexation? And then you can go outside the city where you're going to annex, and you can ask those people, do you want to be a part of the city? 
the services that they're rendering and your your taxes that you're going to be charged it'll be lower to start with yes you're going to get a lower property tax to start with but how long will it stay low how long will your taxes be low in the city they're going to provide you with you're going to you're going to pay for all the infrastructure and all the continuous growth and the development of the infrastructure in the city and what i'd say is if you if you've got a capital project it requires you to go outside the boundaries of your city consider why you're doing that think about why you're doing that you know don't build it and then expect me to come in after the fact and help you pay for it when i had no vote to begin with on it you know but you know here's my thinking we worked very hard and met a couple of times with the leadership there in the city of Sylvana. We encouraged them to have this vote. Just go to a vote. Go to a vote. Look at the survey results that you've got. Look at the uh, public testimony that has been given to you. And what I, what I detest, uh, if there's anything that I really are very, very um, um, protective about is, is the fact that you're ignoring me. The voice of the people that come before you, you've ignored. Well, in uh, in the past, the city of Soldotna has has at least their their leadership has uh, has sort of shown a propensity to not want their people to vote on subjects. Uh, for example, they wanted to shut down cannabis uh, inside of the city of Soldotna right. without a vote of the people. Right. Um, and it, if I recall correctly, and I, I may be mistaken, it was based on the suggestion of the city manager. Um, and, uh, so that is one of those few times where like the, the, the mayor was the tiebreaker. Right. Um, the, it, it, it wouldn't have necessarily been that way under a strong mayor, would it have? You know, it's, uh, what I was about to tell you there is, is that there's an opportunity and a justification for having a strong mayor. There's an opportunity for you. You don't, I, I truly is, I don't think you get the representation that you deserve. We lose and, and it's so important today in the directions that we're going, the decisions that we are making today. Um, you know, right here in Soldotna, we have, we have large state issues, uh, you know, financial issues in the state. But if you were to uh, look at our budgets and compare them to the state budgets, just change the numbers. All you got to do is there, we have smaller numbers, but we have the same uh, uh, behaviors and decision makers you know, squandering and, and waddling in the trying to make these decisions. And they, what they do is they just slowly itch away and pick away, pick away, pick away at your rights as individuals, property rights. Look at the anadromous stream ordinance. I mean, the, there was a plan, the comprehensive plan came out, and there's a group that put 100-foot setbacks on your, on your property in the comprehensive plan. Your mayor had them take that out of the comprehensive plan. Uh, that's not voted on by the people. The people haven't had the voice on that. You know, that's not the voice of the majority of the people in the borough. I would say that the people that are on the river, that live on the river today, um, could have been educated when we started this plan, could have been educated in the benefits of habitat protection and creating. And you got a few anomalies, you got a few exceptions out there. And so what we do is we, we create a plan that that covers the, the majority and impacts the majority significantly for a few of the bad players that are on the river. I would rather deal with a few bad players along the river than going in and, and take from everybody along yeah. the way. Yeah. It's, it's punishing everyone. For it is. The, uh, it is. For the, the, the and, of and then once you have the policies in place, you have these agencies and I, IE river center, you have the agencies and you know, you got good players and bad players that develop along the way. You got leaders that come and go. 
you got elected officials that come and go. And my thinking is, is you know what? Every time you put something on the books, you understood it when it was created. It's on the books now. Someone else comes in behind you, and then they interpret it differently. And then the arguments begin. And so my attitude about life in general and trying to live a peaceful, tranquility life, good quality life with my neighbors, my friends, and my family here on the peninsula is, is the less government we have telling us what we can and can't do on our property, the bounds of our property that we've that we've honorably gone out and bought and purchased and we pay taxes on to make contributions back and back. I would say that, you know what, be respectful. It goes back again to the individual respect. Government needs to respect individuals as well. And I think that the more legislation, the more codes and requirements we create, it, it's just that constant take. And we're headed there. And it's what what I'm fearful of is is the elected officials that we're we're bringing into office, and they're uh, just like me. It's there's a huge learning curve. Um, I try to learn fast. Uh, some do, some don't. And um, you know, there's a what I try to do is listen to the voice of the people and make determinations as to how we're going to go, rather than what I personally feel. Trust me, I have some very very strong personal feelings about what I believe the role of government is, and you don't see me uh, trying to institute or carry out my personal goals every day. What I do as mayor is I try to create a, an environment where we have a stable stability, stability, predictability, and that we deliver good services that you can count on, and that we're going to do it honestly, transparently, and we're going to be fair with each other. And, and short of that, what I'm going to try to do is just leave you alone, let you enjoy the fishing, enjoy the beauty of the Kenai Peninsula, and the, and, and uh, I'm going to try to be a good neighbor too. Provide those services, but you still got to take care of yourself. You are still responsible for your own actions. You are. You are. Be fire safe. Individuals, that's right. Be fire safe. But, All right. Yeah. Um, you've got a lot of things going on, and you've given up a, a great amount of your time. Yeah, I, I really do appreciate okay. it. I appreciate it. It's been a nice talking to you today, um, and and uh, let's do it again sometime. Anytime you want to come on, anything, yeah, any, sure. legitimately, anything. You get a you get an issue that's out there you hear about that's burning. Let's talk about it. Let's let's address the issues. You know, I'm always willing to answer questions. I encourage people to stop by the borough office. Uh, you know, I got a busy schedule. The best way to do it is talk to Pam. Get on the schedule. Uh, make some time for yourself if you want that individual time. Um, I'm willing to do that for you. Uh, there's a lot of issues out there. There's a lot of fish issues out there. There's a lot of land issues out there. There's a lot of budget, budget issues, trying to balance the books and, and, and still provide enough revenue, create revenue. We've got revenue issues. We've got some ideas there that we're working on. And, um, hey, um, I'm trying to do this job. Uh, I said I was going to try to do it and not, not be a burden on you in the way of taxation, new taxation. And I think I've been pretty successful so far. And, and uh, you know, we're wrapping up the 2019 fiscal year books. And, you know, I hope to be on the radio here real soon talking about what the results. I think it's going to be favorable. All right. Sounds great. Sweet. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks. As per 3AAC 306.360 Alaska Marijuana Control Board Cannabis Use Warning. A. Marijuana has intoxicating effects and may be habit-forming and addictive. B. Marijuana impairs concentration, coordination, and judgment. Do not operate a vehicle or machinery under its influence. C. There are health risks associated with consumption of marijuana. D. For use by adults 21 and older, keep out of the reach of children. E. Marijuana should not be used by women who are pregnant or breastfeeding. Red Run Cannabis Company, license number 3A10056. Red Run Cannabis Cultivators, license 4A10052.
Red Run Cannabis Cultivators, License 5A19372. 5455 Kenai Spur Highway, 12156 Kenai Spur Highway, Kenai, Alaska 99611.